I'm done preaching this morning. Um, we have three people coming to give our, their testimonies, and they'll be coming right up on the platform where Joe's putting his guitar up. You'll stand right up there and uh, speak into the mic there, all right? So that's going to be after I'm done. All right, this morning, let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. And we're going to be looking this morning at Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52, and we'll finish the chapter, this chapter out this morning. Let me read that passage. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It says, Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he is calling you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Let's pray. Father, this morning as I bring thy word to the people, I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to engage ourselves in our thinking and putting ourselves into the narrative that we can see what is going on, and that, Lord, we can glean some of the truths here about this disciple named Bartimaeus. I pray, Lord, that some of these same characteristics that we see in him would be found in our own lives. And I pray, ultimately, Lord, the the bottom line would be that we not only profess Christ, but that we follow him every day till the end. I pray that for us. Bless our time together in your word this morning. I pray in your name. Amen. All right, so reading that passage, let me just say that the Gospel of Mark has been teaching us that true faith involves not only trusting in Jesus' death and, of course, resurrection, but also surrendering to Jesus as Lord and submitting to his authority over our life. That Christ must be the highest priority in our life. A higher priority than pleasing ourselves, higher than family, higher than other relationships, higher than possessions. If not, according to Jesus, we cannot be his followers. So now we have arrived at the end of Jesus' public ministry. 
as Jesus fixes his eyes on Jerusalem and the terrible things that are going to happen to him there, there's one more thing that the Gospel of Mark wants us to drink in and to have our minds chew upon. Jesus and his disciples and a slew of other followers were following him for various reasons and were continuing toward Jerusalem. And it says in verse 46, then they came to Jericho. Now, Jericho is the oldest city in the world from about 9,000 B.C. Jericho really was located on the west side of the Jordan River, about 10 miles northwest of the Dead Sea, being in the broad part of the plain of the Jordan. It lies nearly 1,000 feet below sea level and about 3,500 feet below Jerusalem. So they were ascending finally up to Jerusalem. So the hike was pretty steep, and it was not an easy one. In fact, they were to go from Jericho to Jerusalem, 17 miles would be the trek that they would take. Now, the Jericho in the, of the New Testament, of New Testament times was built by Herod. More than a mile to the south was the Old Testament site of Jericho. It is possible to sort out the healing of the blind men, because there were two blind men, other epistles or other gospels say there are two, all right, in the episodes of the gospels, but we have to understand that Jesus was passing from the ancient Jericho and approaching the New Testament Herodian Jericho. In other words, there were two Jericho sites. The modern city of Jericho includes both these sites. As Jesus passed through Jericho, he met and ate with Zacchaeus, the wealthy chief tax collector of the new Roman Jericho. But Mark does not include the narrative of Zacchaeus. However, he does retain the narrative of a man named Bartimaeus. Now, if we read the rest of verse number 46, it says this. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. Now, as we look at the rest of this passage of Scripture this morning, there are certain characteristics that I want to bring to light. Some have called Bartimaeus a model disciple or a disciple who was unlike the other disciples because of the way he responded to Jesus. And so the first thing that we see about Bartimaeus is the condition of his helplessness. He was a definitely helpless. All right, so you can see from our passage, we get some information about Bartimaeus. He was, it says, a blind beggar. And Jesus and his disciples and a large following were on their way to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. So for Bartimaeus, the Passover pilgrimage 
was the one time a year a beggar like him could bring a sizable part of their yearly income. It was an economic thing for him. Also, the blind of that day had the Old Testament law on their side. For the law said, you shall not curse a deaf man, nor place a stumbling block before the blind. You shall revere your God, I am the Lord, from Leviticus 19. So that means the generosity of the large crowd heading to Jerusalem should have been sensitive to the needs of others, and especially to this blind beggar. And a beggar knew this. So then a beggar who was blind was totally dependent on other people's generosity, other people's guidance, other people's protection, because a blind beggar could be someone who could be taken advantage of quite easily during these days. So the scriptural narrative does not always name people, but when it does name someone, it's important. Bartimaeus is given a name here. All right, his name actually means worthy of honor. All right, that means that the Bible is giving this man, Bartimaeus, dignity by naming him. Now, the scripture says that he was someone's son right there. And again, that does connect him to a family. All right, now you, see, you have to ask the question, why does scripture stack up these personal characteristics when referring to this blind beggar? Well, for this reason, in order to press upon us who are reading it and to those who are there present that he was a real person. Not only that, but he, had a pers- he was a person who had a genuine need. Also, he was a helpless kind of person. Now, think about that for a minute, because this kind of person could be easily taken advantage of. This kind of person is the kind of person that is unrecognized by most people. This is the kind of person who can be readily passed by by the crowd. This is the kind of person who could be passed over. And for most of the population, this kind of person is invisible. Matter of fact, we're, we could be guilty of the same thing today because many times people who have certain needs, we don't stop to have conversation with them. We don't stop to see how we can help them. We don't stop to give them a word of encouragement. We usually just pass by them. And this is the kind of person he is. And that's so important for our narrative this morning. Now, just thinking of that, there's a young songwriter named Matthew West who wrote a song called My Little World. And that song is about driving almost every day past this homeless woman who had one of those cardboard signs asking for any amount of change to help her in her need. He said in his world, the only population that existed was one, me. 
Then one day, the traffic came to a halt, and his car stopped right next to her. At first, he was hesitant to look over at her. Then feeling foolish and ashamed, he looked, and he noticed that she was a real person. Of course, he always knew that. But she was always invisible to him. Someone who was not his responsibility. So that particular day, he looked, took a good look at her, and he said a few words of kindness to her, and he gave her some money, and he moved on. But that was a very pivotal time in his life because he realized on that day that the population of his world had risen to two, him and that young woman. He finally took notice of someone who he never noticed before and yet drove by her many a time. So there is plenty of hurting people in this world. The question for us has to be, have you noticed them? Have you said anything to them? You know, just... A few months ago, I was driving in Virginia visiting my son, and I came to a light, and there was a young man, just a, probably maybe just out of, out of high school, all, also sitting there on a chair with a crumpled up kind of like sign uh, saying, will you give me, help me out and give me some money? And I, I did, and then I spoke to him. I said a few things to him, like where you're from and stuff like that, and he was shocked that I... He, he actually looked down, and when I spoke to him, he looked up, shocked that I said anything to him. And, um, and of course, I didn't have time. It was a, it was a light. But, you know, that, that's true. Sometimes we do not pay, take notice of people who have needs, and a lot of times we just walk by them. A lot of times they're just invisible. So what was Bartimaeus doing in verse number 46? The Bible says that he was doing the only thing he could do. He was sitting by the roadside. He had his cloak laid out so the people who passed by could throw some change upon it. And with every coin thrown on his cloak, it would increase his wealth. It would increase his income for that particular year. So he definitely was a person who was helpless. Now, he knew about his helplessness. And so what he does is that he calls for help. Now, the problem is, is that usually when someone calls for help, they usually call to the wrong person. They call to the person that really cannot help them. And then, of course, if they do that, they get very disappointed. But Barnabas had some information about this man named Jesus. And he was hoping maybe he would come this way Matter of fact, he had to come this way. That's the way you went. You went across the Jordan, and then you went right to Jericho, and then up to Jerusalem. Everybody passed that way. So he was hoping that maybe Jesus would come and pass his way. So one of the second things that we see about Bar- Bartimaeus is that he, he wanted to call for help. That's what he wanted to do. A blind person may not be able to see And when, of course, this is the case, they rely heavily on their other senses, like hearing. Now, if you look at verse number 47, Barnabas' ears were keen 
and he was listening to what was happening. Notice it says in verse number 47, when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene. See, he was listening for a particular thing. You ever do that when you're listening for a particular thing, for a particular name, for something you want to pick out? You're listening keenly, intently. That's what he was doing. And he heard that Jesus, the Nazarene, was coming. So obviously, Barnabas had been hearing stories about this miracle worker from Nazareth whose name was Jesus, and he wanted to meet him. But how could he meet him? He was kind of chained to his cloak because he had to made, make some money. But if you notice, it says in verse number 47, something else went on here. Barnabas also relied on another thing that God gave him, his voice. And he raised it to a pitch that reached over the crowd, hoping it would reach the right ears, specifically the ears of Jesus, the Nazarene. Now, but something very interesting comes out of his mouth, out of the mouth of Barnabas. Now, whether he understood what he said fully, or was this some prophetic message that was coming from his mouth, I believe it could be the latter, because look what he says in verse number 47. It says, when he heard it was Jesus the Nazarene, he cried. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. This is the first time this is used. It's the only place. It's used twice right here in this chapter. The only place this is used in all of the gospel of Mark. When that happens... You have to take notice of it. You can't skip over that. All right? Here's Bartimaeus giving Jesus the title, the son of David. Of course, appearing only uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Here, Bartimaeus calls Jesus by his title that links him to the king of David, to the royal line of kings, which refers to Jesus as a king and connects him to his messianic title. Now, it's amazing that Jesus does not say anything to Barnabas when he calls that, no, you shouldn't call me the son of David. He lets him do it. And so it's not like before where he told his disciples when something messianic happened, don't tell anyone yet. Well, he's looking at Jerusalem, so his messianic secret has become public. All right? And this man knows who he is. In fact, I think of passages of scriptures like Ezekiel 37, where it says, my servant David will be king over them. And they will all be have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. See, it is no mistake that the next section of scripture is the triumphal entrance. And what happens in the triumphal entrance is Jesus comes riding on, riding on a new donkey and hailed by the onlookers as the king. If you just glance over to chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, look what the people say about Jesus. Verse 9 of chapter 11, those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In verse 10, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. 
Jesus was hailed in entering into Jerusalem as a king. And finally, when they nailed the inscription on the cross, they nailed on the cross the king of the Jews. So see, it was in now, out. It was out who Jesus was. It was out in a very public way. And when you address a king, what would you ask a king? If you were Bartimaeus, what would you ask someone who was a king? And don't forget, a king was was a person who was often approached by his subjects for several reasons. Maybe they needed something from the king, but they had to come in the right way. Or remember that either you come into the presence of the king in the right way or the king takes your life. He sends you to the guillotine because you came in the wrong way. See, a king had that kind of power. He had had that kind of ability. So what would you ask a king? Well, again, our text provides the answer for us in verse 47. It says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, this is what he asks. Have mercy on me. Hmm. Here's an imperative. And it literally means mercy me. I think there's a group called mercy me, right? Well, that's where they got it from, most likely. It literally means mercy me. And now, see, in other words, is there any mercy for such a helpless sideliner like me, who nobody notices, who's invisible to the population? Is there any mercy from the king for me? I don't know if you ever felt like that in this life, felt insignificant, worthless. Why would God pay attention to you? I have. Matter of fact, I have in more than one occasion. I've had a, have that same thought as a Christian. Because we live in these weak bodies, in, the, in this, this world that's so against us. And Satan who wants to tear us down and ruin our testimony. So Bartimaeus did not ask Jesus for money. He could have thought, here's a king coming. If I can get any kind of money, I can get it from him. And his followers, he'll get all his followers thrown on my cloak, right? Fill in my coffers. He didn't ask for money. He asked for mercy. He asked for God's compassion, for Christ's compassion. Now, I would say this. He asked for the right thing. That's exactly what you asked for to a king who could actually pull it off. He can actually give him mercy. Now, keep in mind that Jesus just got done teaching his disciples that those following him are not to lord over people. He just got done teaching them. Instead, his disciples, if they want to be great in the kingdom of God, they must be a servant. If they want to be first in the kingdom of God, they must be slave at all. Well, no one's acting like this. No one's acting like what Jesus just taught them. And you know what? The crowd always gets it wrong. And look at verse number 48. See, I just want to say this in verse 48. The lesson did not seem to take hold as yet because of the way they treated Barnabas. Look what it says in verse 48. Many were sternly telling him, be quiet. 
But I think that, if you didn't notice, we resemble them. How slow we are to assimilate and practice the truth that the Lord teaches us to be servants and to be slaves for his sake. How quickly we can be swayed by the insensitive crowd. How thick we are spiritually. See, the crowd thought this loud blind beggar was a nuisance and did not qualify for the attention of Jesus. See, the crowd was wrong, like they usually are, you know. Bartimaeus is the kind of person who is invisible to most, ignored, passed by, and even despised by people. He is, for the most part, not a candidate for God's mercy, according to the crowd. According to the crowd, he's insignificant. He should stay on the side of the road. He doesn't deserve anything more than that. Well, he had nothing to offer Jesus or anybody else. And I think this, I think that the real challenge is to get people who are recognized to recognize people who are not recognized. Matter of fact, God's people should always be keenly aware to recognize people that other people pass by. You know why? Because these are the ones Jesus will give his life as a ransom. Passage we just got done with. So you know what? In other words, his people cannot be deaf and blind to people. We cannot be embarrassed by them. We cannot turn our backs on people with disabilities, those who are different, those who don't fit the norm. You know, I think that we're going to be really surprised that the kingdom of God is filled with the misfits of the world. With those who have not been picked for the team. Why? Why will they they be there in the kingdom of God? Well, simply because they called out, Lord, have mercy on me. The Lord stopped everything for this one person. And this is what's so unique about our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever think that you are insignificant to him. You are not. You are very significant to him. But we ask sometimes the Lord for the wrong things. We ought to be asking the Lord for the same thing he asked for. Lord, have compassion on me in my situation. Have mercy on me in my situation. Give attention to me, Lord, please. And so what happens? Well, when that happens, usually there's, there's obstacles. There's something that's going to be thrown in the, your lot to prevent you from pursuing Jesus. Well... That's exactly what happens here. But there's something very commendable about Bartimaeus' persistence. He did not give up. See, there is a legitimate prayer that he offers up before the Lord according to the will of God. Bartimaeus' faith really, really bleeds through this next particular scripture. In fact, we see two characteristics that we can recognize that 
shows us what his faith is like. In verse number 48, it says this, his faith overcame any obstacle, all right? It says many were sternly telling him to be quiet. This wasn't just a few. Matter, matter of fact, the whole crowd's against them. The whole crowd is telling them, listen, be quiet, stay over in your little blanket, and, uh, and, and just leave everybody alone. We've got something very important going on here. See, Bartimaeus does not delay, though, or make excuse, but eagerly cast off anything that would hinder him from reaching Jesus. His handicap was not going to stop him. The crowd was not going to stop him. Lost prophets were not going to stop him. And even the loss of his meager possession was not going to stop him. What do I mean by that? His cloak. His cloak was the source of warmth by day. You know, it, it was this big piece of material that you wrapped around them yourself to keep you warm by day. But for a blind beggar, it was the very thing uh, that he cast out there where people would throw the collection on, the money on. So he, it was a very important item to him. And then, of course, in verse number 48, his faith was persistent. Notice what it says. But he kept crying out all the more. The louder the crowd got, the louder he got. And what did he cry out? The same thing. Didn't change anything. Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, pay attention to me. So he was confident that the Lord would show him compassion. So he got louder and more persistent, and his theology remained consistent by referring to Jesus with the title usually applied to a conquering king. And then there's this next characteristic about Bartimaeus in verse 49. He had a call that was worth heeding. So he was not only listening that Jesus was present, he was listening from a word from Jesus. That's what he was listening for. And so Jesus stopped everything and said, and had Barnabas brought to him with an enthusiastic greeting to come. And if you notice in verse 49, it says, and Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up. He is calling for you. That's very personal. I mean, he could have said at that point, me? Who am I that Jesus is calling for me? He, he did not think at this point. He was very, very hopeful in who Christ was, that Jesus was calling him. And you know what? This has always been the model of Jesus, all along the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospels. If, you, if we look back, a leper received his attention and care when no one would go near a leper. A woman in that day would be someone, at least for a man, you would not stand privately and talk with her. But Jesus, to a woman who had a hemorrhage, received his attention and care. To the little children, who often were, were considered to be nuisances and, and to get away from them, Jesus gathers the children around himself and gives them attention and care. And now we have this blind beggar who received his attention and care, this insignificant, insignificant person that the world at least thought. Jesus takes notice. And, you know, we should take notice of the model that Jesus uses here because it's quite simple. 
and we need to give it some consideration so that it may be something that we practice in our own lives. When it comes to people like this, what did Jesus do? This is how we ought to mimic Jesus. We ought to hear. Secondly, we ought to stop like Jesus. He had time to stop for one in need. Thirdly, he also listened. He listened to his request, Lord, have mercy on me. And he waited, and then he responded. Of course, the only way that Jesus could respond, but he responded. So to hear, to stop, to listen, and to respond to someone like Barnabas. So Jesus the son of David displays his royal authority by working a miracle of healing and showing mercy on a despised outcast. So this is how Jesus acts like the servant king. Jesus gave Barnabas his divine attention. And so Jesus called and his faith responded quickly. Notice in verse number 50, it says, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Now, again, him being the model disciple who now is fixed on Jesus, soon as Jesus mentioned, come, what does he do? He drops everything, and the Bible says he jumps up and comes to Jesus. Now, don't forget, he's blind. And he seizes the one and maybe the only chance this golden opportunity to meet Jesus and be healed by him. But I was thinking about that for a minute because sadly, many people think hearing the call of Jesus to come is a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. That there's going to be many times that Jesus may call, and there may be, and that's only God's grace if that's the case. But many people hear the call of Jesus and think, I don't have to respond. I will have other opportunities. Anyway, that's not for me. That's for other people. But that's wrong thinking. And I think you see the faith come through Barnabas because instead, when the call from Jesus comes, we need to do exactly what he did, respond quickly. Because you know what? You may not have another opportunity. You may not have another opportunity to hear the truth of the gospel that will save your soul, soul and come to Jesus. It may be the only opportunity even this morning to come if you never come, come to Jesus yet to be saved. So see, that's good advice. Again, Jesus shows care and compassion on him by what does he do? He speaks to him. Why does he speak to him? Because he's blind and he has real good hearing. And what does he do? Jesus has him verbalize his request by asking him a simple question. It's not that Jesus didn't know what he wanted. But it's something when we make the request, we have to make it much more clearer. So it's clear to ourselves. What do you, what do you really want from me? Right? Lord, I want uh, a new Mercedes. I want a $750,000 home. See, I, I want those kind of things. That's sometimes what we ask. But see, the thing he's asking for is simply God's compassion on him. In his situation, God knows all about it. And so, if you notice in verse number 51, 
He asks him the question, and answering, it says in verse 51, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? All right, and of course, this is the same question he asked his disciples, and what did they ask for? Lord, I want to be first in the kingdom of God. I want to sit on your right and your left, right? He doesn't ask for that. He asks it for a completely different thing, and it says, and the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. Now, that was the question. Of course, wouldn't that be legitimate that a blind man would want to see? But see, the problem is that we may have is that that's not all that's going on here. Because remember, we're looking smack in the face of Jesus going to Jerusalem and the religious Israel leadership are blind to Jesus. They have not heard a thing he said from the beginning of his ministry till now. And matter of fact, they're already plotting to kill them and have plotted to kill him when he gets there. So see, Bartimaeus is, is put up against these intellectual, religious elite of Jerusalem, and it's a rebuke to them. So a clear blessing of mercy is granted to Bartimaeus by Jesus, and notice what it says. In fact, uh, his faith in Christ brings healing mercy. In verse 52, it says, And Jesus said to him, Go! Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Now this is this is little sentence right there, verse 52, is very significant. The healing is performed without a touch. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't necessarily say that, you know, uh, do anything that would indicate that he healed them. Just simply said, you're healed. You're well. Now, in your Bibles, it may have the word well, right? In mine, it does. Go, your faith has made you well. Or it could be you're healed. But the word, the Greek word is actually the word for saved. Sozo. It could mean free from disease. It could mean free from demonic possession. But it also means to be rescued or saved and to attain salvation. Now, here, both meanings are present. Bartimaeus was a person who believed Jesus could meet his need physically. And he showed evidence of his faith by calling Jesus the son of David, by calling Jesus rabbi, teacher, master, implying that Jesus bears Divine authority reserved only for God. And he affirms the objective reality that Jesus is able and willing to heal him. So Jesus dismisses the man. But by doing so, he impresses upon him the fact that his faith, his trust, his confidence in Jesus, the son of David, was the subjective means of rescuing him from blindness, and not only physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. And how do we know that? By his response. What's the response of a disciple? Look at it says in the end of verse number 52. And he began following him on the road. That's how you know that he became a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So the following on the way or the road 
is contrasted with his former sitting along the wayside or the roadside. So Bartimaeus demonstrates faith to transform him from a blind beggar seated beside the roadway to a person who sees and follows Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. So Jesus heals his physical blindness, but there's more here than meets the eye. Jesus heals his spiritual blindness. Bartimaeus is pictured, is a picture of of healing spiritual blindness. And of course, Jesus cares about the spiritually blind. He, He came to preach the gospel of the kingdom that leads to the path of eternal life. Jesus came to serve by giving his life a ransom for many, those who will repent and believe and see and follow Christ. His eyes were his, his spiritual dead eyes were opened. He was made spiritually alive to not only know who Christ was and know who, what Christ would had done for him, but he also received the mercy and compassion of Christ, so he could now believe in him and now follow him. And so that's what he does. He becomes a committed follower of Christ. In fact, right to the end. And why? Because Jesus extended undeserved mercy to him. The way to express thanks to God was to go to the temple. Following Jesus to Jerusalem in order, what did they do? What did a blind man have to do in the Old Testament when he was healed? He would go offer a sacrifice. All right? Offer of sacrifice to God of thanksgiving. Also, too, he would offer a sin, a burnt offering, a, a, a sacrifice for sin, right? And so he comes to Jerusalem in order to sacrifice, and he gives, of course, thanksgiving for his sight to God, both physically and spiritually. So do we often think about the delightful, this delightful characteristic of God, the mercy of God? There's, there's many scriptures that, call upon the saints to give thanks unto the Lord for this wonderful attribute of God. I think of Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Of course, the word mercy is also translated loving kindness. See, his loving kindness and mercy is everlasting. It doesn't run out. You can't say, well, it's, it's all right for Barnabas, but it's not, God would never recognize me, insignificant me, and have enough mercy for me. Wrong, it doesn't run out. There's no bottom to the barrel. You got that? His mercy is always available to those who call to him for the right things. So when we think upon this divine excellency, we cannot do otherwise than bless God for it. I mean, we look in Scripture and we find His mercy is great. His mercy is abundant. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear God. See, the mercy of God has its spring in the divine goodness of God. That God's mercy denotes the ready indication of God to relieve the misery of fallen creatures. Yes, uh, but... I must mention this, that is the case, yet God does not bestow mercies upon fallen creatures because of their merits, nor does he 
because of the abject mis- misery of sinners, if God were influenced by these things, then he would cleanse and save everyone. But he doesn't cleanse and save everyone. No, the only purpose, only reason for God to show mercy is his pure, sovereign grace. That alone determines how he exercises divine mercy. In fact, in a pastoral epistle in Titus, it says he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. See, God shows mercy to the truly repentant and to those who have faith in Christ because it is God's will for sinners to repent and believe. But God shows no mercy on the unrepentant and unbelieving. It says in Scripture, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is thy loving kindness, thy mercy toward those who fear him. See, so there is a criteria in which God does fulfill his mercy. And it is God's criteria, not our own. So the, by the healing of Bartimaeus, Jesus actually fulfills certain requirements for him to enter into Jerusalem to die on the cross. The first requirement that he, quali- or he uh, the fourth condition that he takes care of this is he, fulfill, he fulfills prophecy. Remember the passage in Luke where it says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me when Jesus read this in the temple when he started his ministry because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and what? recovery of sight to the blind. He said the same thing to John the Baptist when John the Baptist said to his disciples, is he the one? He quoted him the same thing. This is what Jesus is doing. This is his ministry. This is what the prophets said he would do. See, then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. It says in Isaiah, and I will lead the blind by the way they do not know. In the paths they do not know, I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. This is all in the prophets. 700 years before Christ was even born, it tells what the Messiah would do. Also, another thing that Jesus, uh, one of the conditions he, he completes is that he unveils his messianic concealment. Up until this, this time, his, the concealment of who he was as the Messiah, Jesus never mentioned it. His disciples did, others did, but he didn't. But now it's open. There's no more concealment. The healing of the blind beggar really lifts the concealment of Jesus' messianic dignity. And then, of course, one last thing he does, he exposes spiritual blindness. The healing of this blind beggar is also placed in contrast with the blindness of the leaders of Israel, whose eyes remain closed to his person, to his plan, and to his glory. People remain blind their whole life spiritually. People who have lived good lives can go all through their life in spiritual blindness and never come to know the truth, never ask for the mercy of God. And even when it's presented to them, They just blow it off as something they don't need. But believe me, you need it. 
I need it. We need to see. And even as disciples, we need to see more and more, don't we? As, as the light of the word of God is given to us, we, God gives us more and more knowledge and wisdom and understanding about what he's doing, which makes us strong disciples, which makes us uh, people that can stand up against all the lies that are being pushed on us from the world, that we can overcome our flesh and say no to it, that we can resist the devil with truth and expose his schemes in our life and put on the full armor of God. Just in conclusion, the Chicago Sun-Times carried a story in 1982 about a 62-year-old woman named Anna May Penica, who had been born blind from birth. At age 47, she married a man she met at Braille class. For the first, he was partially blind, not fully blind. For the first 15 years, he did all the seeing for them until he completely lost his sight. Anna had never seen the green of spring or the blue of a summer sky. Yet she had grown up in a loving, supportive family and never felt resentful about her handicap and always exuded a remarkable, cheerful spirit. Then in 1981, Dr. Thomas Pettit of the Jules Stein Eye Institution of the University of California at Los Angeles performed surgery to remove the rare congenital cataracts from the lens of Anna's left eye. She saw for the first time ever. When asked, how was it when you opened your eyes to see? She said that she found that everything was so much bigger and brighter than she ever imagined. And since then, Anna has hardly been able to wake, to wait to wake up in the morning, splash her eyes with water, put on her glasses, and, and enjoy the morning light. She says, every day it's a thrill what I'm seeing and learning. Now, how much more delight is it to see spiritually? To see that Jesus is the way of salvation and the only way. And as the songwriter, and of course captain of slave ships, John Newton, says, I was blind, but now I see. And he was talking about salvation. And I believe John Newton, at the end of his life, lost his sight. Physically, but he did not lose his sight spiritually. See, once God opens your eyes and you're truly a believer, you cannot lose your sight. You see all the time, and you see broader and deeper and wider than as you're exposed to the Word of God, and we're responsible for that, to be his disciples. So, see, Barnabas is a good model and example of really what a disciple is. And then the simple prayer of a disciple, Lord, have mercy on me. Because I'm a sinner, and that's my greatest need. I need you to wash my sin away by your blood. I need you to ransom me from the slave market of sin. I need you to do that. You know why, Lord? You're the only one who can. And you know what? Does the Lord turn away that prayer? No. He says, no, I will not turn away that prayer. It is God's will for people to pray that prayer. And then they ask Christ to save them. And then what do they do the rest of their life? Go back to their old ways? 
No. They leave their cloak, they leave their possessions in the sense, and they go and follow Jesus. And Lord, they say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I want to do. Whatever you want me to learn, I want to learn. Lord, I want to follow you. I don't want to look back anymore. I want to keep going forward. That's what I want to do. And so the Spirit of God puts that in our heart. And what do we do? We put one foot in front of the other, and we breathe in and out, and we get up the next day and know what we do. We follow Jesus. Is, is it going to be a struggle? Yes. The Bible never promises a rose garden. It's going to be a struggle. But we're given everything by God to be able to make it to the end of the race. Right? And even if we have to, like Felix in the Olympics was stolen, the gold medal was stolen from her in a, was a 700th of a second because the girl next to her dove at the finish line and won, robbed it from her, all right? But the point is, is that they finished the race. They made it to the end. With a struggle, with effort, they made it to the end. And so God promises that for us. So as we think of that, I do want to remind you that we should have eyes to see those who have needs, those who Need, yes, they need physical things, but they mostly need spiritual things. They don't know that. Blind people don't know they need to be spiritually awakened, right? Regenerated, made alive. And so I, don't ever forget that when you're walking down the way and you see somebody who everybody else is avoiding. It may be you the one to go up and talk with them and share the gospel of Christ with them. That's what we ought to be doing, right? And bringing people into the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I do appreciate the simplicity of the Word of God. It is clear, Lord. It is convicting. It is transforming. It jolts us out of our comfort zone. It, Lord, punches us between the eyes. It breaks us down, but it also builds us up. And I thank you, Lord, for the example that we see here in Scripture. I pray, Lord, that all of us today who are disciples of Christ would emulate some of these characteristics that are found in the person of Bartimaeus. Those who don't know you, Lord, I pray they would not think in their mind that they have plenty of time or that there'll be other times they can hear. Today may be the last day of their life. So I pray, Lord, you would impress upon their heart that they too would cry out to you for mercy and salvation, and they would find that in Christ Jesus, and only in Christ Jesus. So this morning, Lord, as we think about what has been written in the Word of God, encourage us with it. Help us to always think about it. And Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see those who are both needy physically and needy spiritually. And I pray, Lord, you would make us disciples that speak up and share the gospel with those who don't yet, have not either heard it or don't know it yet. Please, Lord, use us in that way. And I pray this this morning in the precious and the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, before you go.